Welcome to episode 152 of the Grip Strip Podcast, sports cars, football, and motorsports worldwide. The edition of the Grip Strip Podcast as we were watching the Tampa Bay Yuccaneers and the Dallas Cowgirls battle to see who's going to go to Santa Clara uh, this coming weekend for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host, and I'm here with uh, a guy who, in the first half of the Jacksonville LA Chargers game, might have started drinking some hard stuff. Uh, but in after in the second half, Trevor Lawrence came back to being Trevor Lawrence, and the LA Chargers somehow or another blew up a, a 27-point lead and basically had no answers because Trevor Lawrence and then that defense, of course, showed up. Um, I'm glad that he's alive. He's my co-host. He's my buddy. Um, he's Josh Fine. What's going on, man? And doing great, Phil. Yeah, what a great weekend to watch football. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars back in the playoffs, and they won their playoff game this past weekend, like you said, against the L.A. Chargers. And um, I wasn't, you know, that drunk. I had a couple of drinks like before the game, but you know, I hadn't really had anything in that first half. But yeah, it was a terrible first half of football on Saturday night. Um, Trevor Lawrence, you know, first pass gets tipped in, intercepted, and like, oh no, what's what's happening? And then three picks later, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go home. And um, you know, just a terrible half of football that first half. But they got back in the game. You know, at the very end of the half, uh, got a touchdown and everything, and you know, went from there. And the Jaguars managed to pull off the comeback and the third largest uh, comeback in NFL history uh, in the playoffs, uh, and I think the biggest comeback in you know postseason or regular season for Jacksonville uh, ever. So. Yeah, just a incredible comeback, and you know I'm glad I got to see that in person. Um, you know, my brother was with me and everything, and uh, yeah, he was bearing his face in in his uh, in his seat at the end of the game. So you know, just a it was going to be one way or the other there, but you know I'm glad I was on the good side of it. So you know, glad to uh, see that, and you know, looking forward to seeing how they play against the Chiefs, and you know how they will play. Um, just uh, against the number one team in the NFL, I think, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, a couple of years ago in college, they were saying, we want Bama. Well, I'm saying we want Mahomes. So uh, give it, give me all the smoke there. So um, I'm ready. All right. So uh, there's uh, one person that's part of the Duval Nation going and calling out Kermit the Frog. And that is my co-host and Jacksonville diehard Josh Hafine. Uh, the 49ers went out there and, uh, had a struggle in the first half. We'll get into this. Well, I mean, we're, we got a little ahead of it. We'll get in all the events of super Wild Card weekend. Of course, there's one game going on right now. So, uh, we'll probably have some random comments here and there from either of us, uh, you know, coaching stuff going on, but the Niners had a rough first half. Brock Purdy looked like a rookie. For the first time, he looked kind of human. And then in the second half, uh, the light switch went, the, the the lights turned on, and uh, defense, Charles Amenahu made a huge play on Geno Smith's strip sack. Uh, Bosa goes and picks up that fumble, and from then on, it was Niners. Uh, 25 unanswered points, and the game was over by that point, more or less, um, sending that 
that dipshit Pete Carroll home and all those uh, bandwagon fans in Seattle. Um, And now they are waiting on who wins this game on Monday night. So we'll get into all that. We'll also talk about uh, the big news from last week, which is Kevin Harvick will be running his final season in the Cup Series. And uh, what will come of that? I mean, the legacy question, what is he going to do next? It sounds like he's just going to be with his kids since they're going jet-setting all over the world, go-karting. And another big piece, who's going to take over (laughs) for Kevin Harvick in the four-car? And uh, what happens with Rodney Childers, who has been that that combination's the longest tenured combination in the Cup Series. And they won one championship, probably should have more than that. They've won so many races together. Will he decide to go and bail as well? Uh, Jimmy Johnson went on, I think, Good Morning America, or today actually, and went and said that uh, the new name for what was Petty GMS will be Legacy Motor Club, and he'll be driving the number 84 in the limited races this year. So we'll talk about that. And... uh, Amongst other drivers that will be in an open car, including Jimmy Johnson, will be more than likely Travis Pastrana running for 2311, trying to make his first career cup start in the Daytona 500. Of course, there's other news announcements across all three series. We will review the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship from last year because it's a good time to do it since the Roar is coming up this weekend and the Rolex 24 is only what is it? Uh, the qualifying will be ten days from now, or start ten days from now on my birthday, and uh, they'll have further qualifying on the Friday, and then Saturday the twenty eighth will be the Rolex twenty four. So we'll preview that next week. Of course, we'll review this last season and who did what. Uh, Chili Bowl happened. Oh man, he threw a pick. Are you for real? Come on. Uh, Chili Bowl, which took place at 1, 1.30 in the morning uh, because of the typical issues with them and prepping the racetrack. But uh, Logan Seavey gets the win for uh, Kevin Swindell, a former three-time winner of the Chili Bowl or four-time winner of the Chili Bowl. And um, it is a big deal for him since he's, his injuries. We'll get into Dakar Rally. Nasser Alatia wins again. But Sebastian Loeb won the last six stages of the race, which is insane. We'll talk about Mexico City Formula E to start the season. Jake Dennis for Andretti. Avalanche Andretti gets the win. Porsche power unit uh, and uh, first race with them at Porsche power units, and they get that victory. We'll preview Rally Monte Carlo and the roar before the 24. Uh, Josh's Sim segment, we'll talk about all things iRacing, but there's also the controversy of the uh, 24 hours of virtual Le Mans that took place last weekend and a certain uh, Formula One world champion not being very happy about what happened there before we closed the deal. So yeah, Josh got to attend the Jaguars game with his brother. His brother's a Chargers fan, and as you mentioned last week, uh, the first half was definitely a dumpster fire for the Jaguars and for Trevor Lawrence. Five turnovers in the first half. Uh, they lost a turnover battle 5-0. And, um, I mean, Trevor Lawrence ended up uh, having, what, three picks, all to Asante Samuel. And, um, you know, he fumbled the ball there, too. And uh, I th- I don't know if all five were in the first half. I know four was in the yeah, first half. Yeah, they were all in the first half. All right, they were all in the first half. So, 
you wouldn't think that there, there's all the percentages were saying that the Chargers are going to win this. And and Herbert did his thing in the first half and didn't. They were doing they were doing good work. Him and uh, uh, Keenan Allen and even they didn't have Mike Williams, which probably hurt him. You know, they didn't seem to have the run working enough with Austin Eckler, who I think won the rushing. Didn't he win the rushing title? Or no, Nick Chubb won the rushing title. Uh, so, but inexplicably, but typical Chargers, typical Brandon Staley, uh, an implosion took place. But to be honest, Trevor Lawrence, uh, it looked like what it's like the first half was year one of his career with with Urban Meyer and the second half was Doug Peterson and Doug Peterson has always has made a name for himself largely in the playoffs uh, playoffs um, from six years ago when he won the Super Bowl with Philly famously and um, other big wins he's had with the following year with BD Nick Foles and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So in the end, I mean, you already talked about it a little bit, but did you really think that Trevor Lawrence was going to go back out there in the second half and throw four touchdowns or he had four. Yeah. He had four. He was going to throw four touchdowns to get you all back in the game. ETN had the big run to basically lock the game up and that defense really locked down there and uh, made a, a made big plays and Je- and Justin Herbert was not really a factor in the second half. Yeah, there's a lot of things to take away from that game and how things played out. I mean, first of all, like you said, five turnovers all occurring in the first half. Trevor threw four picks. Three of them went to Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, And I forgot who the fourth one was to. Uh, Then Jamal Agnew. uh, Well, the the ball, it was a punt, and it bounced off of a Jaguar, the back or helmet or something off of a Jaguar's special teamer. And then Jamal Agnew uh, couldn't field the punt. And then he uh, muffed it essentially and chargers recovered it uh, on the five yard line. And I think at that point I thought the game was over because, you know, they're, if I thought if they gave up a touchdown there uh, when they're already down 24 to zero and they just recorded their fifth turnover of the game uh, and chargers have it on you know, you know, on their five yard line, then, you know, they would easily just punch it in and go up 31-0 and that'd be the end of it. But no, they held them to a field goal there, which I think that was critical. And then, you know, they also held chargers to three and out uh, earlier. Like I think literally before that punt happened, they had actually held them to a three and out after Trevor had just thrown another interception uh, to his last one to Asante Samuel Jr. And, you know, the, right there, I thought the game was over, but, you know, they held him to a field goal, like I just said. And uh, then, you know, Trevor and the Jags came out and got a touchdown right before the end of the half, uh, which was critical. They needed to do that to get at least one score on the board uh, before halftime uh, to make it a 20-point lead. Uh, and then came out in the third quarter, and, you know, it was a completely different game somehow. And, you know, even though they didn't turn over the or force a turnover from the Chargers, you know, they were able to keep them from, you know, uh, scoring any touchdowns and then we got one field goal the Chargers missed a field goal and then the other times they either forced a punt uh you know or well yeah first yeah they just basically forced punts or go three and out whatever so you know that was that was really important to get back into that game uh and you know they were able to do that so yeah it just uh I can't even believe how it even happened like that uh it only like how they were able to quickly score like that and get back into the game uh, I mean 
it happened so fast, but then it was almost just like, you know, they just had the ability to go out and score points uh, throughout the second half and just a really, uh, you know, incredible comeback, um, you know, and once the Chargers missed their field goal, I knew there was a strong possibility that, you know, the Jaguars would be able to um, go out and get another touchdown, make the game closer. Um, they missed on a two-point conversion on one of the touchdowns, but, you know, I was like, well, I'd rather, you know, it, it's it, it adds an extra possession, but uh, I, I'd be okay with that, you know, if it meant that they'd have the ball last, I guess, and they ended up having the ball last, and, you know, it was a great call by Doug Peterson on fourth and one uh, inside of two minutes, uh, you know, the inside of two minutes for, uh, you know, the fourth quarter down by two points, and they went with the wing T formation, brought us back to 1950, uh, and Trevor Lawrence handed off to ETN. And they basically, you know, it was basically similar to how they did fourth and one in LA. Uh, if you remember that play, uh, they were up 16 to 10 in LA, and they had fourth and one, and they ran with 13 personnel. They had three tight ends, one wide receiver, and they were able to create a wall for uh, James Robinson, and they forced uh, Asante Samuel to make a bit, uh, business decision in that game. And then, again, in this game, they went 13 personnel, lined up wing T formation, and then they are able to uh, you know, force Asante to make an open field tackle, which uh, Doug Peterson apparently is very confident that uh, Sante Samuel Jr. cannot make an open field tackle on a running back, and you know Etan was able to take it down to the 15 yard line. So and basically seal the game for the Jaguars. And then all they had to do is make the uh, field goal, and you know Riley Pater- Riley Patterson was able to do that for Jacksonville. So yeah, just an incredible game uh, to be at and to witness. Um, as I said earlier, you know it was the biggest comeback in the history of the team, and you know somehow. Um, I mean, I've been to 10 Jaguars games in my life, uh, and the wins that happened, so three of the wins that I have witnessed, including this one against the Chargers, were all comeback victories. The 2014 game against uh, the New York Giants, uh, I think, yeah, that was, they, they were down 21-0, to and then they came back and won 25-24. to And then earlier this year, against the Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders, they went uh, down 17 to zero and then they came back to win 27 to 20. And then this game, of course, the Chargers, then not only that, but you know, I'm now two and zero in witnessing home playoff games. I was there for the one against the Buffalo Bills back in 2018 that they won 10 to three. So, you know, three of, you know, four of the biggest games ever in, you know, Jaguars history uh, points or, you know, by situation I've witnessed. So that's, that's pretty cool too. And, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, the crowd and everything, uh, it was a great crowd to be at. Um, you know, when Jacksonville has a winning team, when they have a competitive team that's expected to win, you know, the, the fans to come out in full force and know how to, uh, make the cloud, you know, the place, uh, rocking and everything is booming. Um, the, you know, the fans, even though it was like 40 degrees outside in Florida, which is, you know, really cold uh, for Florida, you know, even it was like that, they were still out there. Uh, I thought people would start going home after the fifth turnover, but, you know, maybe they just went back into the concourse for a bit to try to warm up, and then they came back out in the second half, and, you know, they were helping uh, the team with uh, all the cheering and noise making and everything. So, you know, that was great. Um, of course, you know, mentioned my brother, Chargers fan, you know, he went to the Jaguars, you know, one of the bigger Jaguars tailgates that there, are, there is, and, you know, they 
singled them out there. They were like, Oh, we got a chargers fan here in the house. And, um, you know, they're, they're pretty nice to him though. You know, they, you know, just friendly jabs here and there, uh, throughout the game, you know, throughout the tailgates. So, I mean, nothing, nothing real serious or anything like that. Um, saw some stuff on Twitter, some chargers fans, I guess were complaining about Jacksonville fans, but I don't know how many people that was or anything like that. But I mean, at least from our experience, you know, um, no, uh, new issues or anything like that. So, uh, that was good, but this is all, you know, all good fun and everything. So, you know, we'll see now, um, if, uh, you know, we go out against the chiefs and we're able to do it. Uh, I'm really interested to see, especially after they played the chiefs, uh, earlier this year, they lost by 10, but, uh, when you look at it, it was actually a pretty close game. Um, just the Jaguars made some mistakes early on that had they, uh, capitalized on their opportunities would have been a closer game uh, in that one. So, um, you know, they they were really competitive in that one. So I think um, they'll be um, better on Saturday night, hopefully. So definitely looking forward to seeing that matchup and, you know, seeing how they can go up against the Chiefs and, you know, maybe they pull off the upset win. Uh, right now they're, I think, nine-point underdogs to – uh, the Chiefs. So um, if you're trying to bet, I mean, that might be a good payoff if, you know, if they win. So should be an interesting matchup. And, you know, we'll see you know, how Trevor is able to go up against the defense if he gets pressured by the Chiefs, by Chris Jones, or, you know, if uh, Patrick Mahomes is able to um, do what he wants uh, with his will against the Jaguars, or if uh, they put him uh, into pressure and put him into mistakes. So, yeah, uh, should be interesting and you know excited to see you know where this goes uh, from here if they can beat the Chiefs and uh, go to the AFC Championship game against either the Bills or the Bengals that would be pretty awesome. That'll be the uh, Sunday afternoon game as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Jacksonville will be traveling to Arrowhead uh, Saturday mid afternoon game. Doug Peterson, a former a player and coach for Andy Reid will return to coach against Andy Reid again, and but this time in a playoff situation, so it's a little bit heavier <laughs> than, um, of course, a few weeks ago when uh, Jacksonville and Kansas City played. Uh, for the 49ers, it's more, it's more Brock Purdy, more uh, the whole entire offense kind of coming through and, and doing work, the defense being the best defense in the NFL making the plays initially they didn't have a lot going on i mean they were um niners were actually up uh 10 10 nothing but then allowed uh two touchdowns in the second quarter uh, geno smith threw a 50 yard touchdown to dk metcalf who basically for at least the first half he had his had the number of mooney ward uh, kenneth walker was able to go and do work running so uh, it was they, they, it, in, in the first half, it was kind of nerve wracking there. Seattle looked like they were uh, making Brock Purdy nervous. Uh, Brock Purdy was missing, missing some uh, throws and uh, he looked ordinary. He looked like a rookie and it was. Uh, yeah. So then that's another touchdown, I guess, uh, for the cowgirls. Uh, they missed another touchdown. I guess they missed a two-point conversion this time. Um, or they didn't, I don't know, why would they not go for an extra point there? But they're up 12 nothing. Uh Yeah, Niners ended up uh, taking a 16-14 to 14 lead. Uh, 
with Robbie Gould kicking a 46-yarder, and then Myers kicks a 56-yarder at the end of the half to take the lead in the halftime. However, in the third quarter, uh, Brock Purdy started it out uh, with a 75-yard 15-play drive, ran it up the middle for a touchdown, and then the game-changer, uh, the fumble that uh, that happened for Seattle. Um, after that, a quick touchdown, a punt, and then another touchdown, the pick, and a field goal. So at that point, 17 unanswered, well, 24, yeah, 24 unanswered because 7, yeah, 14, 21, 24, yeah. And that was the, the or 25 because I did the two-pointer. Uh, so there was, um, I mean, it, at least early in the game, it looked kind of iffy for uh, Brock Purdy. And I, I guess in the end, when you're playing your first playoff game, can't can't really be mad at that. In the end, he came through, though. He played, uh, he played solid, and he did what he had to do. Um, 18 to 30, 332 and three touchdowns. They were talking about it on the NFL network uh, game day morning, how Brock Purdy could end up breaking Kurt Warner's record for playoff his, during his first playoff appearance and the games that he played break the yards record and uh, Brock Purdy and other records he has. And Brock Purdy has a good chance to do that uh, now that he'll more than likely, it looks like, play the cowgirls unless something random happens in terms of rushing the combination of christian mccaffrey and debo samuel were were really uh tough on seattle they had no answer for either of them really christian mccaffrey nearly eight yards a carry debo had carries early uh average 10.7 yards and then he got 133 yards and a touchdown on six receptions, uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, three for 73, but his blocking uh, on some of these runs played a big part. GK didn't end up getting a touchdown for the first time, I think, in weeks, which is crazy. Um, Mitchell and McCaffrey get receiving touchdowns. So the two, the third running back now, essentially, because if you considered uh, Debo a running back, uh, Omenahu got that forced fumble, strip sack, and then Lenore got the pick later. And uh, what is it? Greenlaw, 11 11 total tackles, eight regular and three assists. Fred Warner had five tackles with an assist. Lenore, four and one. Uh, Mooney Ward broke. um, He had three tackles, but he had some issues in coverage. Omenahu had two sacks. Bosa, somewhat quiet uh, day, but because of his being out there, uh, he makes a big difference, and that's the biggest problem for anybody that's going to play the Niners here in the next week or two or however many, however long this is going to go. The Niners had to recover; they were a little bit off, but it was nice. They needed to get you needed to get hit in the mouth, uh, go and get bloodied up a little bit. In the grand scheme of things, we are um, they are where they need to be, and they've done. They did what they had to do there, um, and now the Niners are on to play Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening against whoever, Dallas or Tampa Bay, and we'll see what happens with that as uh, the rest of the uh, evening goes on. Uh, But, yeah, the Niners with the win there. uh, I was really nervous after the first half, but 
that quickly changed. So um, hopefully uh, that continues. Three more. Three more is my saying, or I've been counting down for that for I don't know how many weeks. Uh, even when Jimmy was around, they were winning and uh, just have to keep it going for three more weeks or three more games, whatever. In regards to the rest of the uh, playoff matchups, of course, we mentioned uh, we talked about Jacksonville. Buffalo had a, a sweat against Skylar Thompson and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I mean, the Miami Dolphins probably lost that game more because of all the procedural penalties they had and delay of games. and, and line. I mean, it, Mike McDaniel had a pretty solid year, especially when Tua was around, but it's not a good look the way he's going to go out this year, but we'll see what happens with that team and what if Tua will play uh, next, in next year or this yeah uh buffalo gets away with one and will be hosting the cincinnati bengals who had their latest bloodbath game against the baltimore ravens the play of one of the plays of the weekend of course was uh tyler huntley trying to reach the ball over the uh end zone line and instead getting it slapped out by uh, logan wilson or i think that yeah and uh Sam Hubbard picks the ball up and returns at 98 yards for a touchdown. Uh, I don't know who went and nailed Mark Mark Andrews. They didn't call the illegal block in the back there, but uh, in the end, that was the game ceiling play. Baltimore tried, but and almost got there to tie it, but in the end, all the smoke and mirrors that is the Baltimore Ravens offense wasn't able to get the job done and all those big names they have on defense and dirty tactics that they do, which is the Baltimore way, didn't work on Joe Burrow, even though Joe Joe Burrow's offensive line is more use more has more holes than Swiss cheese. So that is something to look at in that matchup uh with Buffalo because they do have really good pass rush pass rushers. Um not having of course um why am I forgetting his name? Uh uh what the heck? The guy uh, that was uh, the linebacker that they signed, the guy from Denver originally, and then um, he went to L.A. last year and won the Super oh, Bowl. Von they Miller? Von Miller, yeah. When he got hurt, they lost their big thank you. Uh, they lost a big piece, but they have Epinesa. They got interior linemen. They have a good pass rush. Leslie Frazier uh, is one of the best coordinators in the league the fact he hasn't gotten a second shot is more about the ownership in the nfl uh he did a solid job in minnesota so it's but it's a win for buffalo because he's one of the best at what he does and um that's going to be an interesting matchup for sure uh the damar hamlin situation now that it's continuing to improve uh, even though that that the last time they played a few weeks ago, that w- was what marred the whole entire game and whatever. Uh, him being there is going to be great for Buffalo. It'll be a lot of momentum. But Joe Burrow last year went to uh, he went to uh, not Buffalo. He went to um, Tennessee and then he went to Kansas City and won to get to the Super Bowl and. Uh, I think they won three games on the road to to win the, get to the Super Bowl. He's four and one now, and the playoffs as a quarterback. They definitely do have offensive line issues, but Joe Cool 
sits in the pocket. He can throw darts to whether it's Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Ty, um, Boyd, you know, uh, um, the tight end there, uh, Hayden Hurst. They got a great passing offense for sure. Running back, running game is good. And then they that defense is scrappy, a scrappy defense. It's going to be a, a, a good game. That's I mean, obviously, I think that's what it was supposed to be the game of the year. We'll get that again. Hopefully, you know, God willing, it'll actually go 60 minutes. We won't have any catastrophic incidents this time. Um, and we'll see uh, who gets there. If Jacksonville is able to go and beat Kermit the Frog, as Josh mentioned earlier, they would be whoever wins that game on Sunday afternoon would be hosting the AFC Championship game at uh, 630 uh, at night uh, because the NFC Championship game will open uh, the day there um, a couple weeks from now. And uh, what is it? The Giants, that's the the Giants getting through. I think a lot of people really figured that they were going to win that game. I mean, it was really close. Minnesota had opportunities for sure. But Brian Dable essentially is locked up coach of the year. If he didn't, if he wasn't the coach of the year, he, he is now. Um, but it's a regular season award. But to be fair, I think he to go and take a dumpster fire of a roster and a team uh, him and Joe Shine or Shone or whatever to get them to the playoffs, make Daniel Jones look not like Dave Brown and make him look like a serviceable quarterback, having guys that they're getting from FedEx to play wide receiver and um, Isaiah Hodgins uh, becoming a, a real, he's a, been a absolute revelation. The guy is a player and a playmaker. And that's a huge piece for them. They have Ballinger, a tight end. Of course, Saquon, Saquon. It's going to be a problem there for Philly. Philly comes back after their week off. Jalen Hurts, it doesn't sound like, is at 100% uh, or will be 100% by for the rest of the season. So he might be, uh, will he run the ball? That's a big question. If Jalen Hurts isn't running the ball, you lose a big piece of what makes the Philadelphia Eagles offense work and in turn gives the Giants a break with the likes of Jalen Smith and uh, their their secondary having not having to worry about the specter of Jalen Hurts running because of his shoulder. But that'll be the, the second game. That'll be the Saturday night game, uh, the Giants going to Philly in the I-95 battle. But um, I guess, uh, Josh... We we have those games there. What do you what are your thoughts? I mean, we already know your thoughts on the Jacksonville game, uh, but what are you looking at for uh, the next two matchups that are definitely locked in? And more than likely, it looks like uh, Dallas will be going to San Francisco to renew a, a rivalry that's existed for many decades. Yeah, I mean, I'll start you know with the the Giants and the Eagles. I think this game is going to be a little bit closer than what you know people think it might be. Um, you know, you talked about the Giants and the Vikings, and yeah, you know, I, I had a feeling that the Giants would come out with that win. They're a lot more physical football team than uh, the Vikings. The Vikings, you know, they they seem to do really well against teams that don't have good defense or you know teams that are capable of you know being high scoring, but. You know, the Giants, they're not really like a, you know, powerful offense, but, you know, they, they have a tough physicality to them. 
and you know they were able to go out and uh, defeat the Vikings. You know, uh, despite Kirk Cousins and Justin uh, Jefferson, but the Giants now go up against the Eagles, and I think they'll be able to contain uh, Jalen Hurts and you know shut down AJ Brown uh, and Devontae Smith. You know they've they've been really prolific, you know, throughout the entire year. Um, I mean, even when Jalen Hurts was out, um, they were still pretty productive with Gardner Minshew, you know, even though they didn't win. But, uh, you know, Minshew and Hurts, you know, they played pretty well. Um, you know, I think think the key is really going to be, if, you know, just stop the run and, you know, stop the Eagles from, you know, being able to create running plays with the quarterback and, uh, you know, handoff plays and, you know, just be able to, you know, keep the game close and you know, just uh, make the plays that they make on offense and, you know, rely on Saquon Barkley. Uh, Daniel Jones uh, continuing to play solid. He's been, you know, picking up first downs on his legs a lot this year using read option. And, you know, he, it's going to probably take a lot of that for him to win. So that should be an interesting game. Uh, and, you know, the Giants, um, People kind of look at them and write them off, but you know I think they can come away with the an upset victory here on Saturday, uh, and it should be an interesting matchup. Uh, the Bengals and the Bills, um, you know, it's basically going to be the game that we were looking for, like you said back uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, last, last uh, Monday night game of the season, um, but kind of expect this one to be a, kind of a shootout. You know, I think both teams have pretty high scoring, high potent offenses. Uh, the Bills, I think, you know, they've got a they've got a really tough defense, so it's going to be tough for the uh, the Bengals. But I think they can keep up with uh, with Buffalo, and um, you know, I think Josh Allen. Um, I think for them to win, it's got to limit the mistakes. Definitely, uh, you know, he's had a lot of turnovers this year, a lot of um, interceptions that shouldn't be uh you know happening or other turnovers like fumbles and whatnot so that's going to be um a key for them to uh, limit the mistakes limit the opportunities for the Bengals to uh, get back into the game and you know like you said the injuries for the Bengals they've had a lot of issues with their offensive line and you know Joe Burrow has been one of the most sacked quarterbacks in uh, football so far to begin his playoff career uh, so that's going to be a factor there is if uh, the defensive line can put pressure on uh, Joe Burrow and either sack him or force him into mistakes. And so that that's going to be the two keys for those games, you know, turnovers and, and uh, being able to affect the quarterback in uh, that one. But um, it should be interesting. Um, it's going to, you know, it's going to be very cold. And, you know, I think, uh, it's going to come down to you know who, who can run the ball the best. I think in that game, really, and the, of course the 49ers, You know they've they've been good on defense all year. Um, you know I think if they play the Buccaneers, if somehow um, Tampa Bay comes back and wins this game against Dallas, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they go up against a team that they faced before and got you know their faces uh, destroyed by with the 49ers, uh, You know defeating the Buccaneers 35 to 7 all the way back uh in November so you know that that's going to be something that they're going to be thinking about a lot if they do win but if the Cowboys win uh it's going to be a good matchup I think the you know the defense for the 49ers they've been good um but you know can they stop Dak Prescott can they stop uh Ezekiel Elliott Tony Pollard uh from getting touchdowns from being able to run uh Cowboys defense been pretty good too this year so we'll see how they're able to affect 
uh, Brock Purdy, and if they can, you know, make him uh, make a lot of tight window throws and force him into mistakes, that's going to be uh, something to watch for. Um, but you know, the 49ers do have a lot of weapons, of course. You know, they got Debo Samuel, uh, Kishner, and McCaffrey. They've got Brandon Ayuk, got George Kittle. So you know, a lot of players on, on offense that you're going to have to account for that they can use in multiple ways, uh, to get them the football. So, um, you know, you, you look at that and, uh, you know, the 49ers, they could easily win this game if they do play against either team and then see them against the NFC championship. If the giants win, you know, that's a rematch of, and the 49ers win, that's a rematch of the 2012, I think a NFC championship game, you know, the one where, uh, they failed to advance to the Super Bowl, and the Giants just barely made it into the Super Bowl um, in, what, 2011, I think. So, yeah, that, that could be rematched there, or they could head to Philadelphia in a battle of the one versus the two seed in the NFC. So definitely think that's going to be a, um, a good championship game if that ends up happening. Um, you know, as for AFC, um, you know, who I think, I mean, obviously going to pick Jacksonville, and then I think the Bills Bengals game. You know, we're gonna go with the Bengals here. I think um think they can stop Josh Allen and the rest of the Buffalo offense, but it's gonna be interesting. So um uh, and then of course that would make the AFC championship game basically a battle of the cats with the Jets. So gonna be an interesting matchup there and uh should be should be fun to look forward to these divisional matchups uh this weekend and we'll see how it all plays out. Sorry, just going and checking on Instagram there. Uh, just, uh, going and I'll go and swap. I would say Buffalo. I'll, I'll say Buffalo in that game, uh, for continuity sake. And mainly because I can't stand Kermit the frog. I want to see the Jaguars win. That'd be good for the world. Uh, in terms of the, uh, first game, the Philly game, giants have a shot. They do have a shot. They're a very scrappy team. It's the same narrative they had when they won those Super Bowls in the past. And, um, you know, if Jalen Hurts, I, I honestly believe it's really all, it. it's about Jalen Hurts and his ability, willingness to run. If he's willing to run and um, take contact, it's going to be hard for the, the Giants to actually win. Uh, if he doesn't and he's one-dimensional, We've seen what happened with that at Alabama. We've seen that recently in recent weeks after his injury. Uh, so I'll, but to be honest, Philly should win. Say Philly wins that one. I do, and I'm not, I mean, the Niners need three more. And um, the Dallas Cowboys are more talk than they are an actual, they're a PR stunt more than an actual football franchise. Uh, and all these idiot sticks that are fan boys and girls of them. Uh, the fact of the matter is let's see them actually have to win, win one uh, in a big spot. That would be the first time Dak Prescott's ever won a big game. Uh, but they say the people there's, they were showing those stats of teams that have had double digit win streaks going into the playoffs. They lose in the divisional round. So could go sideways there. I hope not uh, for my liver's sake. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into all those games and what happens, uh, next week on episode one, one fifty three. as now Dallas is up 18 to nothing. I guess they're allergic to kicking extra points. Yeah. How um, does that happen? <laughs> uh, Three missed extra because, points. No, I think they went for two the second time. So, oh no, Maher, 
Maher's missed one, then Maher, he's just shanking everything right. He shanked two to the right. And then I don't know what the hell happened on that one. So, yeah, he has missed three extra points. Wow. Good catch there, uh, Josh. Uh, that is not good. Um, and if if he's having problems kicking in Tampa Bay, good luck trying to kick in, in uh, Levi's. Uh, there's a reason why Robbie Gould is what he is, and he's played for as long as he has, especially for the 49ers. He played, he's played on two really difficult fields. He played at Soldier Field for many years, and then came to the Niners. I think he was there when they were still a candlestick. I might be wrong, but either way, Levi's is a tough uh, stadium to kick in, especially when the winds are kicking up. So see what happens with that. Uh, bracing, you got to get into that. Of course, that's what the show's all about, really. Uh, and a big news story, the biggest news in, in during this offseason, Kevin Harvick is uh, announcing that 2023 will be his final year in the NASCAR Cup Series. The 2014 Cup Series champion, uh, winner of 60 races in the, in the Cup Series, and uh, in terms of his overall, he has 121 wins, uh, 47 Xfinity, 14 trucks. He's a, a champion owner in the truck series multiple times over with Ron Hornaday. Um, you know, he's uh, everybody. There's un, the only person, there's only two people that are ahead of him. Of course, it's Mr. The King and Kyle Busch. Then behind him, David Pearson, uh, Jeff Gordon, Durwood. Dale Sr., Mark Martin, Bobby Allison, uh, and Jim Johnson, and Cale Yarbrough, uh, one uh, win behind that. So he's in 11th. So, I mean, his stats really speak for itself. The contributions he's made to the sport are huge. Tony wanting him and basically saying, I want you to come over here because we're going to win a championship. I'm going to help you win this championship. And it happened. Um, the fact that they haven't won more than one is is kind of a shame. Uh, twenty twenty, like the big glaring, you know, elephant in the room when they had nine wins and then basically imploded in the round of eight uh, and lost out on a chance to make Phoenix, which is one of his best racetracks. Uh, but sixty wins and being able to win at every major, I think he's won. The old Winston Million, I think he won all the Winston Million races. And then if you add Indianapolis in there, he's won that one too, uh, multiple times, when it was still the Brickyard 400. Though he's one of the best ever in terms of that aspect. He's one of the best ever in this recent, in the past 20-something years. And uh, uh, it, it's hard, hard to replace somebody like that, Josh. And fundamentally, I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, Stuart Haas has relied on him for... Uh, nearly a decade, and um, pressure is going to be on a lot of people, um, including one of his protégés and Ryan Priest, who's going to be driving the 41 car this year, um, Chase Briscoe, who, of course, is back for another year, um, having to learn and having to um, pick up his game so that he can actually um, be able to maybe take that next step in in his career. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the announcement for Kevin Harvick? It sounds like he wants to be with his kids and his wife and uh, chase uh, 
keeling around Europe as he tries to be the new Max Verstappen and Piper tries to be the next new female wonderkind in, in racing. Yeah, I mean, for Kevin Harvick, I mean, he's a legendary driver in the sport and, you know, he replaced Dale Earnhardt and had a lot of big moments early in his career. Uh, and then RCR, you know, they, they fell off as a team and then Harvick started to fall off. Uh, but then he made the move to Stuart Haas and then we kind of saw uh, a lot of, you know, potential that he had uh, and that, or that he hadn't realized and, you know, he was able to win the championship in his first season with Stuart Haas and, you know, he probably should have won way more championships than he did because uh, he only won one championship. Um, you know, he should have won the 2010 championship, uh, you know, especially if you go by the old points and he scored the most points in the 2020, uh, the 2010 season, uh, the 2020 as well. Um, you know, famously, I think that's the one that broke him to be honest, because uh, you look at, how he did in 2020, he should have won that championship, you know, uh, several races, you know, he had nine wins that year and, a big, big performance, uh, that year. And, um, you know, came down to basically Texas, uh, basically screwing him over and, uh, wasn't able to win, uh, to get in on the last, the last race of the year, uh, and should have, uh, should have been able to, be there because you know he deserved that title in 2020 and then also look at his performance you know in the in the 14 the four car um 2014 i mean all the way through you know 2020 i mean he was the probably the best driver in nascar through that time uh and you look at how his career played out uh you know he won the bush series championship in 2001 and then also won the cup series rookie of the year which i don't think anybody else has ever done that uh since then so um, he's the only driver to be able to do that, and that's a, it's a pretty big achievement, especially considering the circumstances replacing Dale Earnhardt, still competing on the Bush Series Tour full-time. And that was back when you know there were way more uh, events uh, that were standalone for the Bush Series than there are now. Uh, and now, you know, for Harvick, um, you know, he's just uh, been a legendary driver and um, I feel like maybe he doesn't have quite that status, but he deserves it. So uh, that's something fans should consider and you know you look at how he's performed with uh Stuart Haas and the amount of wins that they've gotten um it shows how dominant Stuart Haas was in their earlier days uh you know and then even lately you know they've uh performed fairly well and they could have been a uh contender in this uh past season's championship if some things had gone their way uh you know they found speed late in the year and were able to put together a couple of wins but you know he like I said, with his championships, you know, he should have won 2010, won the 2014, uh, 2015, should have won that one, 16, should have won that one. Uh, and then I think 2018, uh, if you look at the race racing reference, oh, yeah, racing, well, racing reference has him second uh, in the non-playoffs, uh, but at least four championships for Kevin Harvick, I think, if you go by the old style. So uh, that's pretty pretty good company i mean you're right up there with you know jeff gordon uh and you know all the you know kelly yarborough and uh you know jimmy johnson i mean famously you know with jimmy johnson battled with him for a few years and during johnson's title runs so um you know he had a, a lot of success throughout his career and um you know i think his passion kind of went to the wayside you know especially after 2020 and how you know it 
title didn't happen for him, even though he had the best season that year. And I think kind of, you know, the grinds kind of begin to get, uh, pick up on him and everything. And now he's trying to get his kids involved in racing and he wants to go out and uh, be able to grow their careers and spend time with them and everything. So, you know, when you consider all of that, uh, you know, he's been a legendary driver, um, 60 wins, 245 top fives, 430 top tens, only 31 pulls, uh, and then, you know, crazy amount of laps led over 50, you know, almost 16,000 laps led. So, uh, just, a a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, success throughout his career. And, uh, you know, especially with him and Rodney Childers, that that's a pretty, pretty good, uh, pairing of, uh, driver and crew chief, uh, that will be hard to live up to. And, you know, I think for Stuart Haas, they're going to lose a great driver and everything. And maybe, maybe this is it also for Rodney Childers. We don't know, but, uh, both of them been pretty good for, uh, for Stuart Haas. And, you know, essentially they're going to have to replace him, uh, Eric Almarola in a few years will probably retire, even though he's supposed to retire after 22. Uh, so when you consider all of that, and and basically in two seasons from now, Chase Briscoe is going to be the veteran driver of the 14 car uh, and the veteran driver for uh, Stuart Haas Racing. So uh, that quickly a lot of turnover in Stuart Haas, and you know they've got a good driver in the 41 uh, that could potentially replace Harvick, and they maybe either shut that one down or pick up another guy, but uh, you know, they've, they've, uh, got a lot of, um, you know, replacements to look at, um, as far as if they want to keep four cars open, but, uh, you know, Harvick, uh, you know, earlier in his career, you know, he was a very brash, very aggressive driver and, you know, there's a lot of temper and a lot of that, uh, stuff. So, you know, there's some of that in his early career, but, you know, uh, later career, you know, became, especially after, you know, the stuff that happened in 2022 is able to kind of become a voice in the garage and someone that the, um, drivers needed to be able to, uh, be the voice of the garage and, you know, exp express displeasure with issues. You know, we saw with the cockpit fires and everything in 22, uh, that he had this year. So, you know, he's a veteran presence finally kind of grew into that. So, um, yeah, just to, uh, massive announcement and you know hopefully he's able to go out and have a successful year final year in 2023 and you know, he's able to go out and um, grab a couple more victories uh, and you know solidify his legacy in the cup series yeah I mean it's it, when you, we have these kind of announcements it, it happened with Jeff Gordon uh, when he decided to retire albeit he did come back and race uh, the 88 car uh, for Junebug uh jimmy's jimmy's retirement after all that he accomplished he kind of had fallen off at that point jeff was still pretty darn good had made the final four um tony was not competitive uh for the last few years of his career of course for plenty of reasons outside of the, the cup car uh they hired back chad johnston which is mind-boggling to me but uh because he sucks um but you know, Kevin Harvick, he, I, I agree with you, Josh, on the fact that he's become a leader. He's become someone who is trying to look at the best for the best things for the sport um, and understanding what this next generation of drivers is going to have to deal with. And I, I mean, it, it probably Kurt Busch's situation probably played a piece, put a, put a deal in there too, you know, getting hurt the way he did and their contemporaries and they ran against each other Southwest tour or whatever in the trucks and all. And I think that probably was another piece 
And, um, you know, that that's probably where any number of pieces of why he's leaving. But this year, it's going to be cool to see some of the tributes, some of the things they give. Uh, ACS, who knows what's going to happen to that track. I'm sure they're going to give him something really cool. California guy, won there multiple times. Uh, Phoenix, because he's been, he's owned that place. Uh, you know, what they'll do there, especially at the final race. And uh, to be determined on that, I think he has one last run in him, him and Childers. I hope that Childers stays. Um, I think he could move into a more of a leadership role, um, one off of the getting off the road, but they'd have to find somebody that could take over um, and it would be kind of a fresh slate uh, there at the four car or maybe they renumber the thing or something. Who knows? Uh, But they have a lot of capital in that number. I mean, when it comes to who could take over, I mean, I think they're, they were talking about Ryan Priest is one because he's he's a Kevin Harvick uh, a management driver. There are other Kevin Harvick management drivers around, all around, and um, like Richard, but um, or there's a couple others. But I think him getting in the 41, depending on what he does this year, I don't believe they're keeping Custer down for more than a year. Uh, they're picking a lot of people are picking him to be a favorite for the Xfinity title. Uh, so even with having Chad Johnston as his crew chief, um, the notion of, uh, him moving or no, Chad Johnston's going to be, uh, Priest's crew chief. So that could be an issue, but, um, uh, Custer, I think will move right back to the 41 car as a part of this deal. I think they're going to see what Ryan Priest can do. If he can do what they ask and what they expect, then he probably moves into that car. Now, of course, the other driver that I would think would be a, a, a pretty big favorite to contend for that car, or frankly, any Ford seat, is Zane Smith. Uh, Front Row Motorsports has invested in Todd Gilliland, so they know one seat's taken there. Michael McDowell, whatever. I mean, he had his best year of his career last year. He did win a couple of years ago, somehow, some way. And won a Daytona 500. So he's been on kind of a upward swing. Um, now that Blake Harris uh, left the team to go to Hendrick, will he have that same kind of performance in 2023? Will Would it make more sense for them to go uh, run a full youth movement like they had a couple of years ago? They kind of ran with a young, with Busher and, and Landon Castle. And I think that wasn't a bad idea. The team just wasn't as good as they are now. I think they could possibly handle that. RFK, Brad is looking for somebody to build around. I think if you're a Ford team that isn't Penske, uh, you need to look at Zane Smith as uh, somebody that could do something here. I mean, I said the, the other rumor was that he would go and take over the 21 car. Now, that would also be a good one uh, for the sport or for Ford, um, him going to the Wood Brothers. Personally, I got one better get Blaney back in the 21 with his whole crew because that's where he should be because he, he he fit the 21 car and put Zane Smith in the 12 car. They won't do it, but that would be the way to, that would be a marketing uh, dream on both sides. And then Penske basically puts themselves, they cover both sides of it. They cover the fact that Blaney is a marketing, uh, he's the most popular driver in the sport, really. Him and Bubba, I don't care what, Clyde fans want to believe or some of these other people. They're the two most popular drivers in the sport. 
And um, when he was with the Wood Brothers, it was the vibe. Everything just fit. Um, he hasn't been the same kind of guy since he's went to the 12 car. I don't think he really likes to shave, even with the hot smoking hot girlfriend he has. I still don't think he likes to shave. Um, he wouldn't have to if he drove for the Wood Brothers. Uh, Zane Smith looks like he's never grown facial hair, so he'd fit right in with the Penske thing. Gumby's the same way. So they'd have the young, they'd have the youth movement. You have Pizza Face, who's now a two-time champion and is going to be the unquestioned leader of the Penske NASCAR operation. So those are just a couple people. There might be other ones out there. Uh, there's a lot of free agents coming up this year after this season. So, and if it if you consider what happened this past year between not just uh, Tyler Reddick going and making his announcement with Denny, but then going and then Kyle Busch ending up not having a ride because they wanted to put Keebler in the car because Joe Gibbs all of a sudden is cheap. Uh, he, he had no problem putting Barney Visser out of business and uh, sending Cole Pern out of out of the NASCAR uh, crew chiefing. Uh, he had no problem doing that, but he has a problem paying champions their fair share. Um, he did it to Matt Kenseth, who's going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame this week, NASCAR Hall of Fame. Now he's doing, he did it to Kyle Busch, and he's going to do it to Martin Truex Jr. after this year. Uh, so, and I would venture to say that probably at the would be for Sammy Smith, uh, unless sponsorship came around and maybe it'd be John Hunter. So lots to look at there. Um, but I mean, Kevin Harvick leaving, it's a huge, uh, huge uh, loss for the sport. Hopefully some of these young guys can kind of take a page from what he did in the past and do it and pick up the slack um, there. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, I mentioned the uh, Legacy Motor Club, Legacy MC, uh, random name. Uh, I mean, I guess the legacy part, of course, is Jimmy and Mr. The King because of the 14 cup championships that they have combined. You know, Motor Club, it kind of goes with the whole GMS kind of deal because when you think of Maury Gallagher, you thought of him in the ARCA series with his son, Spencer, then they went to the trucks. Uh, I, I think he even, they ran Xfinity before Spencer got nailed for the drugs or whatever the hell. Uh, and then, the, so they've been in all those series before they got to cup uh, this this past year. Um, now, Maury Gallagher has, he has the Richard Petty piece. So if you want old school, you got that. You have new school with Jimmy Johnson. He's very motivated. Um, it's become a thing now because now you have Danny Hamlin's involved in it. Justin Marks, albeit he wasn't a big-time NASCAR driver, but he's a big-time sports car driver, but a great businessman. Uh, Brad Keselowski going and deciding to leave Penske to go and pick up a piece of uh, Roush Fenway. It's now the Vogue thing, it looks like. Jeff Gordon basically owns Hendrick Motorsports um, for all intents and purposes. That's why he left TV. Um, so drivers are picking up smoke, of course, smoke. And uh, when he decides to show up to cup races, since he's more preoccupied with going NHRA races these days uh, and dri driving SRX. But uh, with uh, the Legacy Motor Club, for, I mean, the name is not great. It's not the worst name. I, or, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I don't think it's the worst name ever in, 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 with time. But I'm like, Tricon Garage was like the worst name, one of the worst names I've ever heard. 
and it's still a terrible name. The Legacy Motor Club is just as random, but we'll see what happens with that. He'll be driving the number 84 car, and it looked cool. Hopefully, they make that test. They make that little preview car. I would like one of those. The the color scheme and everything looked really cool, but I doubt they'll make it. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Carvana, they're saying that is going to be the sponsor on his car for the 500 if he makes it. But Carvana's going through obviously a yeah, lot of issues. Got in trouble. Um, along with a lot of the crypto uh, involved uh, sponsors. That's not only in Formula One, but also in NASCAR. Uh, there's issues with uh, that. So we'll see what happens with Legacy Motor Club. Of course, they have Eric Jones in the 43 and Noah Gregson in the 42, uh, essentially like being a rookie in his rookie year, even though he ran a lot of races last year, uh, driving the 16 and driving the 62. Um, did, what were your thoughts on the announcement before we move forward, Josh, on the whole legacy motor club deal i mean it's a weird name uh that's not what i would envision jimmy johnson naming something and if anything i thought maybe they would just you know jimmy johnson would just be petty gms johnson or something like that but you know they went with legacy motor club which you know somebody i I forget where but somebody said it sounds like a uh a sports car team uh, mm-hmm. like in imsa and that's kind of what it sounds like to me but you know, he goes with number 84 uh which is not surprising uh you know obviously it'd be hard to get the number 48 uh 44 i guess they didn't want to go with 44 for whatever reason uh because it would have definitely fit with the 42 43 and 44 um but, asa that was yeah. the number he yep. ran yep as that well. too and i mean i think that was kyle petty's first number in in nascar uh when he or an arca with their but yeah yeah yeah, you have that. So, yeah yeah you have that uh and of course still sponsored by carvana and like you said yeah they've got a lot of problems now you know they're um in trouble i think financially and uh you know, they've got the i think they've got the sec on their on their backs right now uh so they're we'll see how long they last uh you know as a, a company if they even make it through the year um you know and given how given how the condition of the um economy is or could be you know they may not last the entire year so that'll be something to look out for in terms of sponsorship for Jimmy but uh Jimmy going to be attempting the 500 in this car uh and should be interesting you know they've they've had some good runs you know the GMS you know with Eric Jones was up there in Talladega in the spring. Uh, you know, he's going to have Noah Gregson as a teammate. So uh, Gregson, of course, been good on super speedways and Xfinity for junior motorsports. So uh, it should be an interesting um, deal there with Jimmy in the 40, or I was about to say 48. So I'm so used to Jimmy in the 48 car, but uh, Jimmy in the 84 car in Daytona, he's going to um, have to make it in. But, you know, he might be able to fall back on points uh, or the past champions provisional. Uh, so that could be could be in play if he needs it uh, or if something happens. But it should be interesting. And, um, you know, now he's an owner in the series. So uh, he's got equity in, in, in a way. So we'll see if he's able to uh, have any influence in the garage. Similar you know, how Tony has some pool. Uh, if, if he has any, I mean, obviously he's been got a big target on his back after last season but 
uh, you know, it's, it's another former driver. Denny, of course, has uh, a lot of influence now as an owner. So uh, it's another former driver maybe helping influence the sport to, you know, be better uh, and, you know, improve the future for, you know, for the series. As the Cowboys drive again, it uh, looks like they're going to put another touchdown on the board. Uh, it's like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are completely shit in the bed today. Uh, probably Tom Brady's last game as a Buccaneer too. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, it's not even five minutes into the third quarter and they're probably going to put this one away unless something crazy happens. Like, uh, Tom Brady decides to do his best Trevor Lawrence impression and, uh, um, throw forward passes again that actually hit his own team. Uh, yeah, we'll see with that, with Jimmy Johnson, uh, there's news about him with the Garage 56. I mean, the rumors for a while have been, of course, Mike Rockefeller who's testing the car. Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon would be the three drivers of that car uh, coming in uh, and at Le Mans June. So something to look at uh, later on this year in regards to this Gen 7 car. I'm trying to, so the next piece of news is uh, the fact that uh, Travis Pastrana is going to run a uh, run a third car uh, at the Daytona 500. We don't know any details. We don't know a number. We don't know sponsors. We don't know any of that. So to be determined on all that, but Pastrana, who's an extreme uh, motorcycle driver, Champion Supercross 125 CC champion back in the day as Dallas scores another touchdown. Uh, in and there, I mean, he's made his name with all with the Nitro Circus and all these crazy jumps. He's a new, modern day Evil Knievel. Um, I mean, with the passing, uh, uh, Thoughts and uh, condolences to uh, the Knievel family since Robbie Knievel just passed away a few days ago. Uh, I think Travis Pastrana kind of comes from that same, he's cut from that same cloth uh, with all the stuff he's done on not only bikes but in cars. And also with the loss of Ken Block recently uh, in the last you know, couple of weeks ago. I mean, it it's uh, losing those big names in, in those daredevil extreme sports guys. It's, it's kind of puts things in perspective, especially some of the injuries on the stuff that Pastrana's had happen to him, but he's going to go and try to attempt at Daytona 500. So that's something to look at. Um, the 27 Hen has a bird car supposedly using attempt the 500. Um, the, what is his, what is uh, his name? Uh, Mayweather's team, money team, or supposedly will be there. Uh, Austin Hill will be attempting to run the 500 with the Beard Beard Oil team. Uh, they're going to run all four Super Speedway races along with the Chicago Street Course and Michigan. And then, uh, I mean, they also have yeah, you have the 84 as we mentioned. And Trackhouse uh, with Project 91, that's someone, there people are talking about Elio Castro Neves, uh, side of that car, the 50. And then you add the uh, add the fact that uh, um, Zane Smith is going to be driving a, a uh, third car for um, Front Row Motorsports. 
in uh, a bunch of races. So that'll be somewhere there. I don't know what number, what what that'll be. Probably it'll be thirty five or something like that. Some one of them numbers that are in between. They have thirty four. They might just go thirty six. Um, and that'll be an open car too. So it'll be for the first time in a while. The qual not only the qualifying but the dual races will actually have some level of interest. Um, the dual races have become pretty monotonous in recent years, so um, that's nice to see for sure. And the open cars are going to be um, there's going to be some competitive pieces out there. Uh, Chandler Smith has uh, announced Charge Me, which is an EV. Um, it was found on the EV, yeah, so the clean energy kind of sponsorship there. So Zane Smith, of course, taking over the 16 from A.J. Allmendinger in the Xfinity Series while A.J. goes to the Cup Series. And uh, that'll be that'll be one of them. They got uh, announcement DGM is going to have Josh Balicki. He's going to run for them. He's also going to run for B.J. McLeod. B.J. McLeod uh, brings... Anthony Alfredo on to run the 78 and uh, Garrett Smithley will be running the 99. Pat Trison comes over to work with Anthony Alfredo and Lee Leslie uh, will be moving over to be the crew chief of the 99 car. Both of them have experience, of course, in the Cup Series. Uh, I mean, Pat Trison did plenty of great work in the Cup Series over the years. So um, those are some of them. Uh, Dale Jr., is going to run uh, Bristol, I guess he's going to run the Bristol yeah, Night Race. Bristol Night Race and probably Martinsville, I suspect. Uh, I don't Will know if that be earlier in the, well, the, Martinsville, they run, they run twice, right? Or they only run yeah. once. Yeah. So no, they run both bigger. spring and, and, uh, and fall. So and I think fall. spring Martinsville and well, he's not going to run the fall one because, and the Cowboys That'll just be missed the fourth one. Yeah, that'll be a championship, you know, that's yeah. a decider. So yeah. I don't think he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be this one of the stories they mention uh, as we go into next into Sunday's game, the fact that Brett Maher uh, can't hit the side of a barn. Uh, what is it? Doug Randolph will um, come in to crew chief for Tyler Ankrum. Scott Zipidelli had left Hattori Racing at the end of the year last year. So that'll Doug Randolph, veteran, longtime veteran crew chief, will be there um, for Tyler Ankrum. I think we'll get more news in terms of the truck series as we go along uh, now in this next month, because that's essentially we're a month or so away from uh, the truck season starting. Uh, was it uh, Goodyear Tire Test Dakota going on? It went on today and then it will go on tomorrow. With Kyle Busch driving for RCR, Tyler Reddick making his also making his debut at twenty three eleven, and then Austin Sindrick uh, representing Ford for Team Penske uh, at Coda, and they announced the tests there uh, for the season. Um, trying to look at the different announcements. Renai goes in uh, tankless water heaters is going with uh, Stuart Haas Racing. They're going to work with. Uh, um, Chase Briscoe, and then they're going to also be on the NHRA, TSR, NHRA uh, vehicles. So that'll be something uh, to see how that all goes, works out. I'm going to see that. Yeah, the other P1 
piece of news I guess we'll talk about before we move forward is um, Larson's announcement that he will be in the 2024 Indianapolis 500. It was a dream that Robin Miller had for many years, God rest his soul, um, to see Kyle Larson run this race. He will be running racing in the uh, the six car that uh, Tony Kanaan is going to be running this year, or, or I don't know what number, actually, because the six would be Alexander Rossi, I would think, because he's the third car now. Uh, so I don't know what number they're going to run for Tony Kanaan, but that'll be something to look at. Maybe he got 7-11, he can run the 11 again like he used to back in the day. Um, but that fourth car will be Kyle Larson running at Indianapolis. He'll attempt the double. So that will be the first time since Kurt Busch did it in 2014. Of course, he finished in the top 10 and won Rookie of the Year at Indy. His uh, Coke 600 wasn't that good, though. Uh, Tony's still the only person ever to run all all 1,100 miles, and um, he finished in the top 10 of both of those races, finished third in the 600. Another turnover. Are you kidding me? Another turnover. Like, this is ridiculous. You've got to be kidding me. This is not even an NFL game anymore. Like, they're not I even like trying. It. Can Tom Brady is- put up a goose egg in his final game as a, a Buccaneer, possibly? Yeah, it's the way he's looking. He's quitting. He's already rage quitting. He looks like how he looks when he plays golf. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the big, that was a big piece of news. Uh, you know, the talent is undeniable. Uh, his ability to adapt to different race cars uh, speaks to why he is where he is and all of the money he's made and all that. So, I mean, I we, we have a long time to talk about it. We have a long time to look at it. But on the face, I mean, Hendrick Motorsports is going to do the deal with uh, uh, with McLaren, with uh, Zach Brown and them. So it's a good combination. It's a Chevy team. Uh the McLaren team last year finished second and I think fourth in the Indianapolis 500 paddle award had a chance to win the race uh, last year uh, made probably didn't make the right moves there late against uh, uh, why am I ugh, what the heck I'm now I, I always have this freaking dementia kick in when I'm on on air um, he was running against uh What's his face who won the Indianapolis Live? Oh, um, Marcus Erickson. Uh, Marcus Erickson. There you go. Thank you. So, uh, and then Rosenquist was up there too. So, and then also Juan Pablo Monterrier, who was driving the sixth car, had a top 10 finish. And, um, of course, two time Indianapolis 500 winner. Now they're going to have a longtime Indianapolis specialist and 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner, Tony Kanaan, running this year moving away from the Honda camp for the first time uh, in a long time. So that's an interesting thing. Who knows what'll if that'll be his last race. Uh, but, I mean, it's a big news story. It's going to be something that they're going to talk about even this May uh, because they're going to have problems filling the field. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be talking about Kyle Larson showing up to Indy. What kind of prep is he going to do? How is he going to acclimate to running an Indy car with little to no testing and um, balancing that while also balancing being a full-time cup series driver, of course, Um, who knows what will happen this year, but you know, he will be, I know he wants to win another championship 
Hendrick wants that championship back, albeit they've had the last two championships prior to this 22. Um, but that announcement's huge, has uh, a crossover piece. Uh, and for a lot of people who have been hoping to see Kyle Larson do it, I mean, Jeff Gordon never did it. Uh, there's other guys that there are people hoped he would, they would have done it, but haven't or couldn't, like Kyle Busch. Uh, so, I mean, in this case, to see Kyle Larson make that commitment and Hendrick Motorsports make that commitment is pretty big uh, for the IndyCar series, um, considering all the L's they've been taking this offseason. Josh? Yeah, I mean, for um, I mean, for Larson, you know, this is a big, you know, development and you know, something that people have been talking about for years, you know, even going back all the way back to uh, 2016, is uh, even talked about then. I think he had a press conference with Scott Dixon, and because uh, they were both sponsored by Target at the time, and uh, even the possibility back then had been breached, and would have been really easy because he was driving for a Chip Ganassi, and could have, you know, they probably could have worked something then to put him in an Indy car for the 500. But um, you know, finally, uh, you know, he's going to have a chance in 2024. So still got to wait a you know year and a half. Uh, to go, you know, to see it, but that's a lot of time in prep uh, for him, and you know, time to get in the simulator, time to get in a test, and he'll have the opportunity to have a private test at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and then of course have the at least the rookie orientation program uh, before you know the testing for the month of May and all that stuff. So he's got a lot of opportunity, uh, and you know, I think. It's a good announcement to make it now, um, and you know, go for twenty twenty four rather than twenty three because it gives you more time to prepare and you know, uh, put something together and um, actually dedicate focus into it, and um, you'll know, be able to uh, just be able to you know run competitively rather than you know sitting around in the field, you know, struggling with the car, struggling with the downforce. Uh, and being able to drive uh, the car, you know, in the draft and, you know, be able to, uh, you know, drive with, you know, the aero push and, well, um, you know, the wake of other cars and having to, you know, adjust the wheel, the, the weight jacker uh, and everything. And, you know, he's, I mean, coming from a stock car and, he, you know, he's got the oval, you know, the dirt oval experience as well. So Larson, no stranger to open wheel cars, but never on this level. So it's going to take a lot of adjusting. And, um, you know, the fact that he's got a lot of time and preparation for this, you know, should, should make, you know, him be viewed as a serious contender, uh, in 2024. So it should be interesting, you know, go back to, you know, what, um, Kurt Busch was able to do. And, you know, if he had just had more prep and, uh, you know, had more time, you know, I think he would have done a whole lot better than, I mean, he had finished sixth in that race, but, you know, for, uh, Kurt, it was still a remarkable achievement, but he was never really in the race. He just was able to kind of get up there through attrition and, you know, through adjustments and everything. So, um, you know, if Larson's able to use all this time to prep, you know, he could, could be up there, you know, potentially leading, uh, if things go right, um, or, you know, be in the top five throughout the, throughout the race. So, that should be interesting to you know look out for, and you know it's different from you know McLaren's partnership with uh, Fernando Alonso. Of course, Alonso had already had open wheel experience in Formula One, so um, you know the transition is not as uh, you know different as it is from a stock car uh, to an Indy car. So 
um, you know, it should be interesting to watch, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fans that are excited for it and should draw a lot of interest uh, in attendance uh, for 2024. So, um, you know, it uh, should be a fun Indy 500, you know, when we are able to see it in 2024 and everything, and, you know, looking forward to seeing what Young Money is able to do uh, in, in an Indy car. So uh, it's a good partnership, though, with uh, Hendrick and uh, McLaren and, um yeah, you know, it was looking around, you know, about, you know, the potential for this. And, um, you know, of course, they had been talking with Kyle Busch as well, but Kyle uh, couldn't get anything put together. But, you know, they were able to put something together for Larson. And you know, Larson's in the prime of his career. And, you know, it sounds like from what he's talking about, this opportunity, he wants to be able to do multiple years, not just, you know, one and done, you know, year, but, you know, he wants to be able to compete in multiple uh, occasions of the Indy 500. So that's going to be something to look out for in the future is, you know, uh, him being able to, you know, potentially do maybe three or four attempts at the Indy 500 or something like that. So uh, we'll see, you know, if he's able to qualify in for the for this first attempt in 2024 and um, how he's able to do in the actual race. So, you know, looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, I mean, it could have, could have been this year, but, you know, uh, I think with the way, the way things work out, it's better if you give yourself more time to prepare. Yeah. And I think it'll also put them, it'll, he'll be able to get in a simulator, get sim time. And also he, he'll be able to go and go to Indy, watch Tony Kanaan, watch the team, Alexander Rossi, of course, a former Indy 500 champion. Um, and then, Pat Ward, who finished second there, as I mentioned last year, Rosenquist. So it would be a good deal for him to go and get that understanding, probably uh, go and see how that, because I'm trying to figure out if they have, I think the qualifying weekend is the same weekend as All-Star Weekend for at North Wilkesboro. So they'll be, he could go out for practice days and then fly back to Wilkesboro to run in the, um, in the All-Star race. So WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, we'll get into that. The recap, the last season for the DPIs, uh, that was a, or I mean, it was a competitive battle with uh, three, basically three manufacturers for a while, uh, but it ended up being, uh, it was really Acura and Cadillac in the end this past year. So the, um, yeah, you had Cadillac with uh, now with was Chip Ganassi Racing, and then Wheel and Engineering uh, Racing, which was um, Action Express running the Cadillacs, and then you had JDC Miller Motorsports running a uh, customer car along with um, Jimmy Johnson running uh, limited races, uh, Endurance Cup with his uh, driver lineup. Both, or was it Rock, Mike Rockenfeller, Kamui Kobayashi, and then Jose Maria Lopez. And then the two Acuras, uh, Konica Minolta, Wayne Taylor Racing, which was Ricky Taylor, Philippe Albuquerque, and then uh, the defending champions, series champions. And then uh, they had Meyer Shank Racing, which was um, Tom Blumquist and Oliver Jarvis. They had Elio Castro-Neves and uh, Simon Pagino for the Rolex in that race. So, I mean, the uh, Wayne Taylor Racing Team, uh, they ran the, they won the uh, qualifying race, but in the actual Rolex 24, Meyer Shank Racing Team took the victory 
from there, the uh, uh, Ganassi Cadillac team won Sebring with Earl Bamba, Alex Lynn and Neil Yanni, and then Long Beach with Bourdais and Vrant van der Zanda. Uh, the Konica Minolta team then won three of the next three of the next four races: Laguna, Mid Ohio, and Watkins Glen at the six hour, uh, with the zero one car winning at uh, Belle Isle. They also won at Mossport. Uh, Ricky Taylor then won again, and or Albuquerque won again at Road America, but were not able to fade uh, Meyer Shank at Road Atlanta in the Petit Le Mans which uh, essentially locked up the championship for them. They uh, win the championship by uh, under 100 points over the their Acura uh, teammates of sorts, and they tie for the Michelin Endurance Cup, but because of winning uh, two of the, the Enduros, they go and get the get the Michelin Endurance Cup. Blomquist and Jarvis, of course, uh, Ollie Jarvis is not, going to run this year for the 60 car uh, for whatever reason. I guess the contracts were the way contracts were working. Uh, he had ended up signing a deal with United Autosport uh, to run in the World Endurance Championship, so he won't be back. Uh, Colin Brown will be in that car uh, driving with Tom Glumquist here to see if they can go and win the Rolex 24 again. And of course, Albuquerque and Taylor are back with the new cars, Bourdais and Van Der Zanda are going to run the one Cadillac um, racing Chip Ganassi car in a, in the IMSA series this year. Lynn and Bamber will be going to the World Endurance Championship. The 31 car will be back, of course, with uh, Pippo Durrani and um, Alexander Sims, the former BMW factory driver. JDC Miller Motorsports is waiting on their customer Porsche 963, so that'll be... Uh, they'll be waiting until later in the year, so they won't be in contention for the championship. But uh, in terms of the LMP2, the Michelin Endurance Cup was won by PR1 Matheson, which was Ben Keating, who's now driving the Corvette for GTM in the World Endurance Championship. At the Rolex, Pat Award, Colton Herta, Eric Lux, and Devlin DeFrancesco won for Dragon Speed. So that was a solid driver line up there. Uh, PR1 Matheson won again. Uh, they won the sprint race, whatever, the qualifying race. Then they won Sebring. Tower Motorsport won at Laguna Seca. Dragon Speed won their second race of the year with their regular lineup of Hen- Henrik Henman and Juan Pablo Montoya. Watkins won the 52 wins. Era Motorsports wins that Road America. And the Tower Motorsport team wins the Petit Le Mans. In uh, LMP2, John Ferrano wins the overall championship for LMP2, uh, Michelin Endurance uh, Challenge, the 52 car wins that because they won three of the four um, Enduros. So that's uh, that there. We'll get into some of the drivers how where they're at uh, next week. In terms of LMP3, mentioned Colin Brown before. Uh, he has raced for, um, he has raced for, um, what is it called? The core auto sport for many years with John Bennett and they were running LMP three. They ended up winning the overall championship. Uh, but Gar Robinson, Felipe Fraga and K van Berlo with, uh, their, uh, well, two of them had won three of the, 
three races of both the Rolex 24 and the six hours. And then Elkhart Lake, it was Fraga and Gar Robinson won there, but that isn't an enduro. Michelin Endurance Cup, they get the win there in the 74 Riley Motorsports car. Uh, the When it comes to uh, Core Autosport closed, which was part of what um, led to Colin Brown being a free agent, being able to go and move into the D into what is the LMDH category after many years driving in different categories. He, they ran in the DPI category with a Nissan. They won races there. Yeah, so, I mean, Colin Brown's very experienced. John Bennett was a great gentleman driver, run a great race team. Porsche trusted him to run their factory program. So he tells you how good of a team they had. So it'll be a big loss in that sense. In the GT Daytona Pro category, Matt Campbell, Matthew Jaminet, both are involved in the Penske Porsche 963 program now. Uh, they won five races and won the championship by over 200 points uh, over Ben Barnacote, who draw, drives for Lexus. Garcia, Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor uh, finished third. In terms of the uh, the Jita Michelin Endurance Challenge, Davide Rigon and Daniel Serra got the victory without even winning or one of the Enduros. They finished second in two and finished seventh at Road Atlanta finished ninth at Sebring. And, and when you look at uh, Matt, the, the FAF Motorsports team that won the regular championship, first at Daytona, fifth at Sebring, third at Watkins Glen, and third at, at Road Atlanta. So I don't know how the, the points didn't. I guess the, the small points didn't go in their favor there. But FAF Motorsports will be back this year with different drivers. Lexus team is going to be back. Corvette is going to run one car here. And, of course, in the GT AM category in the World Endurance Championship, uh, you had the uh, Roscon Alex Ribeiro's Harder Racing Aston Martin team. They'll be back again. Connor D. Filippi and John Edwards uh, driving for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. Uh, they are going to be involved with their their LMDH program that'll, uh, that they're bringing to the table here starting at the Rolex 24, uh, Cooper McNeil is going to go and take, uh, he's going to get out of the seat, be more involved in the business of WeatherTech uh, versus being a driver. So that they've hired a couple of pros there at the Mercedes and uh, they'll uh, have, they'll be in the GT pro category this year. The last uh, class to go over is GT Daytona regular, um, the pro-am class, Roman DeAngelis for the harder racing won the championship wins at Watkins Glen and Mossport along with second places at Belle Isle, Lime Rock and VIR uh, led to uh, their, that championship getting the regular championship won by 23 points over Ryan Hardwick and Jan Halen uh, with the right motorsports Porsche program. Uh, the, Brian Sellers, Madison Snow from Paul Miller Racing BMW, of course, from New Jersey, uh, wins. They won the Weather Tech Sprint Cup, so that was a good deal for them. They missed the first two. They missed Daytona, so that's why they weren't involved in the regular championship. I mean, they finished sixth in their overall championship, even the, with missing Daytona altogether. Uh, but they won that Sprint Cup, and the... Uh, 
what he called Michelin Endurance Challenge, saw Brandon, Brendan Aribe, Jordan Pepper uh, win with their McLaren, win the Michelin Endurance Cup. So good job for them. They're running full time this year uh, in that uh, with that McLaren program. So that'll be something to see on GTD. Lots of uh, variety, lots of things to see. More cars in the what will be the regular, the main class, which will be now the LMDH or the, or I mean the GTP category here in the IMSA series. LMP2 is going to be capped depending on the race, uh, but will be competitive, and they have a chance to win overall with the way that some of the reliability has gone. But we'll get more into that next week. Uh, the uh, roundup. We go into the Chili Bowl for la- last week. We had the the Chili Bowl, and um, Logan CV won from from the pole after winning the uh, winning the pole shootout, and uh, that's uh, he goes and wins, and he wins for the uh, wins for um, what's that called for what is that um, for the uh, for Swindell Speed Lab. So and beats defending champion Tanner Thorson. So that will uh, that was a big deal. Survived green white checkered, thirty uh, seventh running of the race. So that's a that's a big deal for them. I mean Swindell back now. Yeah, Walton's four drillers as a driver, first as an owner. So um, challenging when Mac Cannon McIntosh uh, was there, right racing him, uh, and he passed him on lap thirty one. So to go and take the win and then, um, you know, the Tanner Thorson trying to repeat, unfortunately, because of the groove and the way that the track was, uh, he wasn't able to uh, be able to get around him. So that's a shame there. Um, the other thing that lost me, first ever award for being the highest finishing female in the race, top rookie, Jade Avedesian, was uh, uh, one of three Women, women drivers that made the A main. Rico Abreu um, got uh, pushed back and got into a wreck. He had a chance. He had won his prelim night last Wednesday, but unfortunately didn't have luck on his side to go and get that third driller. Um, there was um, the crazy um, accident that saw Ashton Torgerson get um, ejected out of his car. Um, Thankfully, uh, not severely injured, but um, has been able. They were he was able to get back to the racetrack on Saturday night and um, talk to the fans. So that's uh, a big big deal, um, considering how safety the safety and all of that. But um, I mean, that's it's crazy to think um, he's been discharged. Yeah, discharged out of the uh, hospital. After that crazy accident, um, the one big, uh, two big uh, missing pieces were Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell. Uh, they basically said they weren't going to race because of the uh, purse, the purse for the race, because it's too low. It's only $10,000 to win. Uh, and the engine, engine contract or whatever to lease an engine is way more than that. So unfortunately, uh, that's. Uh, what uh, I think probably one piece of why they weren't there. It's uh, when you consider how many of, of the how many drillers they've won between the two of them. 
It's a big loss for the race, big loss PR-wise as well. Logan CV wins over defending champion Tanner Thorson, Cannon McIntosh third, Shane Golobic fourth, Emerson Axum fifth, Kyle Jones sixth from 16th, Mitchell Moles seventh, Trey Marcham eighth, Tim Buckwalter from 23rd ninth, uh, Justin Grant finished 10th, former uh, former Chili Bowl champion Tim McCready finished 11th from the uh, bump uh, from the 24th spot. You had other people there, Chris Windham, Jason Persley, uh, Zeb Wise, Kevin Thomas Jr., um, Thomas Meserol, Jay Davidesian, um, or, yeah, she, one of two, sorry, I said there was three women, there's two women, Jay Davidesian and uh, Kaylee Bryson uh, made the show there. Uh, CV led the most laps in the race. McIntosh took the lead for um, in that middle portion. And the B feature... B features Chase Briscoe uh, has made the A main previously had a chance to make it bicycled late and uh, wasn't fell out finished tenth in his B feature top seven advance so he finished tenth uh, fell short and then you look at Tim Buckwalter who got in on the last row and moved up to ninth at the end Taylor Reimer another uh, uh, female driver driving for Keith Coons Motorsports. Had a chance, but had issues in her race. Um, trying to look at other people. Yeah, Darren Pittman, former World of Outlaws champion, fell one spot short of making the A um, in his B feature. Trying to go with Blake Hahn, who's a former A main driver and plenty of golden drillers. I mean, the family runs the race, of course. Um, buried. I'm trying to look for um, Buddy Kofoid because he had issues in his uh, preliminary night and uh, got buried in the soup, didn't even make the C. Um, let's see here. Mariah Ide, another uh, female driver. So, I mean, the the women are starting to uh, make their presence felt in this race, which is great to see, especially when you think about the way things are, you know, hopefully for, for female drivers, more opportunities coming from that. So, yeah, Buddy Kofoid uh, ended up, getting out of he was in the d okay so he he was in the d feature he was 13th needed it get into the top five finished 18th and last and so guy who was a favorite coming into the into the weekend two-time defending usac midget champion uh gets knocked out in the d because of a bad uh preliminary night so that shows what the what the series what happens in in the chili bowl if you are not fortunate if you have something go wrong. Um, let's get into Dakar Rally. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Nasser Alatia basically had won the race in the first first week because everybody else that was around him had issues. So that basically ended everything there. Um, he ended up winning uh, modif- Yeah, so. I don't know what that is. Ultimate prototype. There was only one uh, of the uh, ultimate prototype cross country. The T. Yeah. So in yeah. Okay. I can't even. It's too long of a list. And um, only one of the three Audis finished. Matthias Ekstrom and uh, his co-driver, his two teammates, of course, Carlos Sainz, former winner of the Dakar Rally, and 
Um, Stefan Petterhans, who's won so many Dakars, um, both of them fell out with issues, crashes, and the whole bit. Um, Nasser Alatia won by one hour, 20 minutes over Sebastian Loeb, who won the last six stages on the trot to um, move up from wherever the heck he had been to get into second overall in, in the car category. Lucas Marias uh, in another Toyota Helix or Hilux or whatever uh, finished third. Janil de Villiers, former multiple-time winner of the race, um, uh, finished fourth, the uh, second factory Toyota, and then the third factory car, Hank Ladigan, finishes fifth. Trying to look through here. Anybody else of great significance? No. Um, on the uh, trying to go through here, see if anything. The bike category was where um, those Americans that were in contention, Skyler House on the Husqvarna was in contention, had the lead late in the race, but had issues in the last couple of stages and ends up finishing third behind Kevin Benavides and Toby Price. Uh, both former winners of this race, Pablo Quintanilla and Adrian Van Beverlin uh, for Monster Energy Honda, pick up the slack with, uh, uh, what do you call, um, why am I forgetting his name? Of course I'm forgetting his name now. Ricky Brabeck had a huge accident uh, early in the race and got knocked out of it. Or He had a, a great chance. He had a lot of speed. Uh, early on but got knocked out before we really could tell if he added if he could have won another one in the um yeah we got prototype cross country uh u.s drivers finished first and second austin jones and over his teammate um seth quintero a red bull off-road junior team uh 52 minutes but u.s driver gets a win there in the a um what is this what what car category the lightweight prototype cross country uh, then you have Christina Gutierrez who's the extreme e, uh champion co-champion finishes fourth uh, for X44 racing so that's a good good job by her uh trying to see if there's any yeah no that probably I don't know who any of that is we'll get in the the quads uh Pablo Copetti, a U.S. Uh, rider on a quad, finished third in class. No credit to him. Uh, trying to look through others. Yeah, we did that. Uh, T4. They separated them. Okay. And then, yeah, so that's the end there. Uh, of course, talked about Nasser Altia. So they have a series where they run uh, rally raid championships. So there are other... Uh, events that'll be going on as the year goes on. Um, figure Sebastian Loeb will be running World Rally Championship, not this coming weekend, but as the season goes on as well. And um, Mexico City Formula E first race of the 2023 season took place uh, at uh, Hermanos Rodriguez. Oh, spine fragies, that's bad. Uh, Stingray Rob. Okay, there you go. We'll put that out there. Stingray Rob uh, set to be confirmed at Dale Coin Racing uh, to be a full-time driver in that in the 51 car. Uh, Stingray and Town Formula Two runner-up, uh, really good. Fastest Schwartzman 
Bobby Schwartzman has a better resume, driving a bigger team, allegedly be our old one, and we're just four hundredths off. Yeah. So you know, that's a Kiffin's Kiffin Simpson, Pence and Dale Cameron, Dane Cameron. So Stingray Rob will uh, that'll be one of the youngest teams uh, in the series with uh himself and uh, David Malukas coming back. So that'll be an interesting combination. In terms of what I was talking about prior to seeing that news, um, they had the uh, first race, of course, and the results. We'll get into the results there. Jake Dennis for Andretti Autosport gets the victory over Pascal Verline for Porsche. Lucas Degrassi for in his debut for Mahindra finishes third. Andre Lauderer in his uh, first race for Andretti uh, Porsche factory driver finishes fourth. Jake Hughes in the first race for McLaren, fifth. The Envision uh, team, which is, um, yeah, okay, yeah, they're the private, they're an Audi uh, customer. I figure who are their customer now, but Sebastian Buemi, I guess they're a Nissan then, maybe. Uh, sixth, Antonio Felix da Costa for Porsche, seventh. Mitch Evans, eighth. Nick Cassidy for Envision, ninth. And defending uh, world champion Stoffel Van Dorn for Dragon Maserati, or the Dragon um, DS team finishes 10th. And uh, in terms of the grid, I mean, from the race, Degrassi had qualified on pole over um, Jake Dennis, uh, Jake Hughes, Andre Lauder, Dick Tantrum. Furline, Buemi, Sasha Fenetraz for Nissan Edams, Antonio Felix da Costa, Mitch Evans. So there was that. The next race will be um, in a couple weeks' time in Saudi, in Doria, for a double header. And then uh, after that will be the first race in India in a while. But this will be first Formula E race. will be in Hyderabad. So that'll be something to look at as um, things go on. Yeah, so... Trading Autosport and Vision as Jaguar. Okay, so Jaguar Power Unit's my fault. Uh, DS Penske will, they have their whatever power unit. Um, two Jaguars, Mahindra is with them, their own team in Apt, Maserati. They're by themselves. Uh, then you have Neo, only per, takes care of themselves. Nissan, EDAMS uh, goes and runs their own program and then also sends a power unit over for McLaren. Alrighty then. The Rally Monte Carlo coming up this weekend. Famous race, of course. Everyone wants to win that race uh, that is involved in uh, that series. Uh, news, I mean, they Ford shows off their new, uh, M Sport shows off their new uh, WRC car, the Ford Puma, uh, with uh, former world champion Autanek and Pierre-Louis Loubet as a as the um, full-time drivers, and then they'll have a third car uh, in there, which is where Sebastian Loeb might uh, jump in. That's a good-looking piece. Uh, will it compete is the big thing against uh, Toyota and Hyundai. Uh, you look at the, the drivers coming back. Uh, right now, you have defending world champion Cali Rovampera, um, only age 22, which is just insane. Um he will be, uh, his teammates will be, uh, what is it, Alfred Evans, Takamoto Katsuda, uh, former multiple-time world champion Sebastian Oje will be uh, running a limited schedule there. Uh, Esa Pekka Lapi, uh, Atanek, 
or no, Altanic, I just said, Thierry Neuville and Craig Breen will be running, or Lappy and Neuville run the full season. Sordo and Breen will be running uh, limited races in a third car. I mentioned the two Ford drivers there. We'll see if Rovenbera can go and win at Monte Carlo. Last year, of course, it was a great battle between Loeb and Ogier to um, see who won that first race with this new Rally 1 configuration. Roar before the 24's last piece, we'll get into the sim segment. Um, a full field, all 61 cars that'll be racing in the Rolex 24 will be represented. Uh, you have uh, two, I mean, there's 25 cars in GT Daytona. There'll be eight in GTD Pro, nine in LMP3, 10 in LMP2, and nine in GTP. Uh, two Cadillacs, the only time that the Ganassi Cadillac team will run two cars this year. The O1 will be committed for the full season here. Um, and then the O2 with Bamber, Lynn, and Westbrook will run in the World Endurance Championship. Uh, Matthew Jaminet, Nick Tandy in the six car are the full season drivers. Matt Campbell and Felipe Nazar will be the full season drivers in the seven. Dane Cameron, Michael Christensen will race in the World Endurance Championship. In the third Penske Porsche, Konica Minolta Acura team will have uh, Ricky Taylor, Felipe Albuquerque, the regular drivers, Louis Delatraz, and Brendan Hartley. BMW M Team RLRLL. The 24 will have Philip Bang, Augusto Farfis, Marco Whitman, and uh, Colton Herta. 25, Connor D. Filippi, Nick Yaloy, Sheldon Vanderlinda. They have Colton in both cars, so I guess they only have seven. Uh, the 31, Wheel and Engineering Cadillac, sees Pippo Durrani, Alexander Sims, as I mentioned prior, and then Jack Aitken will be their third driver. And then the 60 car, Blumquist and Braun, along with the uh, Meyer Schenk Indy car duo of Elio Castro Dash Neves and Simon Pagino. And we'll get more into some of these other cars and teams in detail after this race, uh, take or this weekend. Uh, the Tower Motorsports 8 car will have Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden. That'll be an interesting combination. Era Motorsport has Ryan Dial and Oliver Jarvis in the 18 car, so that's a good combination. Um, TDS Racing has Rena's VK um, in there, and you have so the 51 Rick Ware Racing team will be running uh, full time with Eric Lux and Pietro Fittipaldi, so that'll be one to watch. And then the PR1 Matheson team, not sure what their plans are past Daytona. Um, ben Keating will race with Nicolas Lapierre, uh, amongst others there. Uh, yeah, so we'll get into that with GT Pro. There's what is it, one Lexus, one Corvette, one Porsche, uh, two Aston Martins, the TGM TF Sport number 64 and the Harder Racing 23, uh, Ferrari Risi Competizione, Ferrari Iron Lynx, Lamborghini with Roman Grosjean. Uh, the, that crew is basically four of the drivers that are likely to be in the their new Lamborghini LMDH uh, slash GTP car uh, and their whole program they're going to be running starting in 2024. Uh, WeatherTech 
racing with their Mercedes hasn't, they don't have a full uh, lineup in there, but I think they've made mention of some of the drivers that they're going to have running the car anyway. So that'll be something to get into more. And then of course, 25 entries in GTD. So spend more time on that next week. Uh, Josh, uh, let's uh, get to you in the SIM segment. Uh, there was controversy in the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans virtual race. There's been other things going on in the SIM world. So uh, let us know uh, what is going on. Yeah, I mean, start with the controversy with the Max Verstappen and really the just the 24 Hours of virtual Le Mans. Um, and the, the issues were basically that uh, the virtual Le Mans uh, was running, um, and then Verstappen took the lead at the start of the race, uh, but then there was a red flag because uh, there was a security breach in um, a couple of the servers that were used for the race, uh, and then drivers were being disconnected due to the instabilities on the server, and then Verstappen uh, got kicked from the game, and then he rejoined uh, lap and a half down from the lead to uh, 17th, and then just uh, more connection issues throughout, and then Verstappen just retired and quit the game. And then, uh, you know, they called it, you know, he said it was bad luck and, uh, you know, not just bad luck, but incompetence by the organizers and um, uh, just a lot of issues that seem to have come about in this uh, in this event. Uh, and, some, you know, something that shouldn't come up in big sim racing event and you know a lot of people spend months and months of preparation for for this uh you know even though it's you know just a video game a lot of it's a you know highly competitive event and a lot of top rural drivers you know come out and compete uh in this game and you know when things like this happen you know it's very frustrating and you know very uh you know very bad to have uh take place and you know i just think that the organizers need to do a better job of keeping their servers secure and you know keeping their servers up up to date and being able to host a competent event and you know this uh group uh, hosting this event you know they're using r factor too but you know it's motorsports games that is uh hosting the event and you know we've seen the controversy with motorsports games and other you know other games obviously the iRacing IndyCar deal um the NASCAR console deal from last year which is really bad or in 2021 which is re- you know just a really poor game and you know now we have uh this uh, latest thing and you know the champion of uh, the two-time back-to-back world champion in Formula 1s you know basically and you know he's a huge sim racer as well um, going out and trashing the, you know, I mean, he's right. He trashed the game. I mean, I agree with him 100% on this. And, you know, that's on the organizers to provide a environment that, you know, doesn't have these issues. And, you know, a lot of people were having these issues. And uh, I found out on Reddit, actually, uh, that it looks like the, basically the server's, uh, the IP address was actually publicly visible and uh, was allowed to, uh, leak the race server IP and that's probably what led to the overflow and being able to not being able to handle the amount of traffic and those people getting disconnected and stuff so uh, and, and not only was it leaked but it looks like the um, I guess within the the game the IP address was visible so it was easy to look at and see that and cause problems so 
um, you know, motorsports games, you know, just continuing to be incompetent. You know, they, it seems like it's just a complete scam of a company and, you know, they make all these deals with, um, you know, all these racing organizations and, you know, put out bad product consistently. And I have no idea how they're even still in business or anything. And, you know, they shouldn't be in business if they are. So just a poor, you know, poor execution and, you know, just more bad PR. Um, you know, not everybody was mad about it. I mean, Roman Grosjean, I think, was successful and therefore a, but then should also know that he's also, um, he also has paid interest in motorsports games. And I think he's like a partner or something with them. So take that, uh, defense with a grain of salt there, uh, with his defense of how they handled the whole thing. Um, Jimmy Broadbent, I haven't seen what he had to say, but, uh, I think, I think he was also not happy with it. Um, so just a lot of, a lot of people on sim racing community, not happy about this, uh, you know, situation. And now even there's more news that's come out related to this, the, I guess like they've had trouble paying their developers, motorsports games. And, you know, some of the developers are, are threatening to uh, release publicly release uh, source code for the video games that have been unfinished, which includes the iRacing IndyCar game or the IndyCar game from Motorsports Games. Um, so that's one of the one of the things. And you know, I'm I'm all for it. Drop the source code on GitHub or something like that, and uh, let everybody have a a crack at it and see what it looks like. See how poorly coded it is, or you know wh what issues there are with it. Maybe somebody can go and remake the game themselves and create a new new game or improved game or whatever so um i'm all for it honestly and you know go ahead and drop it and show show how bad of a product that they have and everything so um that's the controversy there and um you know just unfortunate that they have this issues and shouldn't exist and you know if anything proves why I mean, at the very least, iRacing would never have these problems, I think. I mean, they're not perfect, but I don't think they'd, you know, have have this type of incompetence that uh, Motorsports Games has had. And, um, you know, it just shows uh, there's a lot of problems with it and everything. And, I mean, there are other people who can explain it better than me, but, you know, it's just from what I've seen and um, from what I know. So it's just a better – or it's, a you know, just a bad situation that um, – shouldn't shouldn't happen and um, when you piss off the you know best driver in racing right now in, in terms of you know results um that's not a good a good thing and you know people media might say that you know oh he's just whining like rage quitting whining like a baby but no it's it's not that at all i mean i think there are legitimate complaints and i think you know if there are other professionals out there competing in this i think they'd be pretty close to the same thing and i think you know the sim racing community seems to be pretty much uh, united in the opinion about this uh, situation. So I think it's clearly a issue of incompetence on the, on the side of the organizers. But yeah, I mean, that's basically the big news. Uh, you know, unfortunately it's bad news in sim racing this week, but I mean, as far as I racing, I mean, I ran some, the Toyota GR 86, I was practicing with that on Laguna Seca and um, was really able to get a handle on the car. So I think I'm going to run that one a lot this year um you know also in i racing the uh roar before the 24 for i racing's 24 hours of daytona was also in um this weekend this past weekend and if i wasn't at the jaguars game probably would have uh tried to participate in that um you know as i think i was during the daytime on saturday uh sunday so uh was not 
was out uh, around my PC during that time, so I uh, didn't do that, but would have liked to, I guess. And then next weekend is the actual iRacing 24 Hours uh, of Daytona, and that should be an interesting event. Um, actually won't be in that one. I'll be at Universal Studios with some friends. already made these plans months ago, so a little bit of conflict there, but you know, that's all right uh, and everything. So um, trying to think... Trying to think if there's anything else in in racing news and sim on the sim side, um, you know I think uh, I think that's mostly it for the sim segment. I look here on sim racing Reddit and see if there's any other interesting articles. Uh, real quick, yeah, uh, yeah. I think just that controversy with the sim and with uh, the virtual Le Mans, which is an unfortunate situation. That's pretty much pretty much all the news there. So, um, yeah. I, Maybe maybe uh, IndyCar will figure out a way to get back with iRacing soon, or anything. But you know, just a bad contract all around, bad bad situation on all of that. And you know, motorsports games gotta pay for their sins eventually, I guess. So we'll see. Um, but you know, when I do streams, I do plan to stream eventually. Just kind of busy right now, so um, I will be streaming eventually at Twitch TV slash UCLR two. Uh, you know go on my iRacing streams there and watch and everything and uh, see, you know, all the stuff that I do for racing uh, when I'm on there. And, you know, when, when I'm on there, it'll be a good race, hopefully. Uh, and you can go on there and follow, and I'll make sure to notify when I go live on there. And then, of course, uh, Twitter, uh, JP Huffine, see all my stuff there and see all the talk that I had about the Jaguars this weekend and we'll continue to have uh, as we go forward this pat, uh, next week uh, for you know, Jacksonville football and everything. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully they win and continue the good results and uh, good content. You know, as always the Jags, as they've been saying. So, uh, yeah, and of course, you can go on here and watch our videos and see our, our stuff on YouTube. And we had our last one with Niner and Eight uploaded on there and um, good discussion with him. And you know, if he wants to come back on, looking forward to whenever that is, if he wants to. But uh, that was a good good video there. Uh, go in there and watch our YouTube stuff and subscribe to our page and like our videos and, um, you know, give us uh feedback on on uh on our videos and all our content and everything if you want to watch on the video side uh so yeah that's all all for me this week on uh sim racing and you know, everything else so um turn over you know for to you phil for the rest of the close as tampa bay gets sent out of the playoffs down 31 to 6 uh the cowgirls will play the 49ers on sunday evening um for a chance to get to the NFC championship game. So that's means three NFC teams, the three NFC teams that made the playoffs are still in the playoffs. Um, you know, it shows, I guess that was the division this year. Uh, the North was garbage. The South was garbage. And both of those division winners are gone. And then of course the 49ers showed, uh, imposed their will. They'll be there. Uh, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Uh, you follow us at Gripstrip pod. On Twitter, you can find the Gripster podcast anywhere. Basically, you can hear podcasts. And uh, Josh mentioned the YouTube page, of course, Gripster podcast on YouTube, where you upload the videos. So uh, we'll get into all that, have the show out uh, here later in the week, uh, sometime during the week, and um, hopefully listen to it prior to the uh, divisional round of the playoffs and some of the other racing events that are taking place this weekend. Uh, but 
Otherwise, we will uh, see you again next week for episode 153 of the Grip Strip Podcast, which will go over uh, the Roar for the 24, preview the Daytona Rolex 24 at Daytona, and other racing or be Formula E in uh, Saudi as well. Uh, so we'll get into that. Um, we'll also get into anything else that's going on, any other news that's going on in the world of motorsport. So with that, for Josh, I'm Phil. Thanks for listening to Gripster Podcast and supporting us. Of course, we're always open to feedback uh, um, and trying to improve the show and come up in, coming up with guests. So come up in, coming up with guests. Um, trying to work on some people to get on the show, so we'll see how that uh, works out there. And we will um, see you again next week for the Ripture Podcast. So take care, um, be nice to one another, God bless, and goodbye.